Welcome to the Real Estate Trainer Podcast with your host, Brian Eisenhower. This podcast is brought to you by Eisenhower Coaching and Consulting. ICC provides customized and structured coaching and training programs for real estate agents and team leaders, representing many of the top producing agents in North America. ICC also offers broker and owner consulting on agents recruiting, training, and retention. For more info, visit EisenhowerCoaching.com or find us on Facebook. What better way to know our clients' best interests than to tap into their emotion and figure out why they want certain outcomes? So if we listen more than we talk, use question marks more than periods, we'll be able to have tactical empathy and do a better job negotiating and getting what we want. Start talking about real estate negotiation. And I think this one is crucial, probably one of the most crucial skill sets in real estate. And I think to do that, there's been a lot of changes in the negotiation space in negotiating training and techniques in probably the last 30 years, which is kind of the bulk of my professional career. I've watched the change happen. And that change started from a place where we looked at negotiation as an almost an adversarial type of setting where we were trying to, you know, keep emotion out of it, try to determine why the other person wants what they want, and really try to make everyone think more rationally and less emotionally. And over that period of time, I've seen that's fighting <laughs> a lot of natural human instincts. And a lot of the training out there has been more adapted into an emotion-based negotiation tactic. And when I say negotiation, understand a negotiation applies to any time you're persuading. Okay? So for example, we could be negotiating with another agent over something. We could be negotiating with a home inspector that wants me to let him into a house to do an inspection at 10 a.m. No way, no hell. Not in the morning. You're going to have to come in the afternoon. Right? We don't, our mornings aren't free. So you're going to have to negotiate. Right? We've talked about that. Oftentimes, I have to negotiate with our very own clients, which just by general layman's terms, it violates all fiduciary duties. You're supposed to represent your clients. How are you going to negotiate them with them? Well, you try telling a seller what the correct market value of their home should be listed at. You're going to start a negotiation or tell a buyer where they need to come in on their offer. So you actually start negotiating with your own clients. You're negotiating with tons and you're negotiating with other agents. If agents listen to you, if you're a leader, of agents, you're going to be negotiating with them on how much effort they need to put forth to grow their business, how much attendance they should have, how much time management and time blocking they should do, how much training and education they can do. So almost anytime you're persuading, you're negotiating. And if you're persuading, training, educating, you're always going to try to motivate. And the, the I'll tell you right now, this is pretty well established. The key to successful motivation is tapping into emotion. What motivates someone is what moves them emotionally. 
How does it make you feel? Does it make you feel satisfied? Does it make you feel good? Or you can motivate with pain too. Does it make you feel awful? Does it make you feel sad, depressed, afraid? That'll motivate, right? People will move away from pain very, very quickly and do other things to avoid it. And if that's in their best interest, that optic can help. And it's truthful, truthful is important, okay? So that emotional aspect, I think it was, I mean, I think, you know, it was a University of Chicago study in the 1980s, if I remember correctly, who started determining that emotion is really just a, a form of thinking that, that changes our perspective. So you can literally have two people negotiating and they have different perspectives on them that triggers different emotions, right? So we make our choices based on this framing effect of how we frame the scenario. Right? You've seen this when you've negotiated with your spouse, when you've negotiated with friends and family over different points of view and different perspectives. The way we look at something, the way we frame something can totally change our emotion, right? So if I gave you, and that's all about context, if I gave you a picture that's about yay big and inside it, you saw a woman standing on the beach holding a small infant in her hand. And that's, and it's like a mosaic. So you couldn't even see the expressions or anything. It was just kind of like watercolor Monet type of thing. I don't know. And she's just, and she's just holding this baby. You know, it depends. You might be a single woman that just got out of a divorce where the husband cheated on you and you have the baby. And that, that, that picture could invoke lots of sadness. You know what I mean? You might see that and feel sad and you can relate. You might see that picture and you might be someone that has um, been raised by a single mom. And if that's the case, that might give you pride. Like, wow, yes, I can do it. Yes, we can. There's someone that has made it and raised a, a, a kid all on their own as a single mom. Two different perspectives looking at the same, the same framed photograph with two totally different emotions that can motivate in two totally different ways. And that's why they call that a, a framing effect, right? Now, the same person could be a 16-year-old high school child, maybe a daughter, and that daughter sees that photo and beneath that photo or that painting, it says, use protection practice safe sex, whatever. Because then there could be a fear that you're gonna have a baby if you don't. Make sense? So that fear is a different type of emotion. And you're gonna see that to motivate people in negotiation, if you can get them afraid people are much more motivated by fear than making some sort of gain. People really run away from pain and fear. But I can put reward and gain in front of you all day long and you still won't pick up the phone and call your SOI. You still won't do what you need to do to generate business. But if I tell you you're gonna lose something, even if it's just like your cable TV subscription, man, you will pick up the phone and call that cable TV. Oh my God, I'm going to lose something. 
And that concept of loss aversion, people will move into action to avoid losing things. I mean, what's the first thing that would happen if we went into a major recession? I know why I was alive in the last one, right? So in 2008, when people were like losing their life savings that invested, that invested in Lehman Brothers or whatever, and everybody's going broke and people are jumping out of windows and every, you know, prices are dropping and banks are closing. What does everyone do? They go cancel their phone bills and their cable subscriptions. They, they just start, you know, cutting things left and right. You know what they didn't do? Start trying to earn a lot of money. They cut a bunch of nickel and dime expenses. But people didn't try to increase income to cover the loss, even though that would have been what you're supposed to do. That would have made, that would have moved the needle the most. That loss aversion is what motivates. It's much easier to run from fear than it is to put activity forth to get gain, right? So understand that, that emotion that comes from fear that your heart puts out there is much more powerful than your brain. Logically, we know we should be lead generating, but that fear, that emotion, that heart has a lot more influence over the mind than the mind does. Make sense? That emotion is everything, okay? So understand that. So it's very crucial in sales in general, let alone negotiation, for us to have a very high level of emotional intelligence. We have to understand emotions. We have to know how they work, okay? We have to know the emotional side. You're gonna hear me refer in negotiation to the other person as an opponent, although I really should think of a better term, the other person, um, because you're really working with them to satisfy their emotions, to work out an amicable resolution that fits their needs. But we often refer to them as an opponent. But that other person understanding where their emotions lie are everything, right? Um, if we can understand where they are emotionally and how they're looking at the situation, from what context they're looking at it, it changes everything. Here's the deal, guys. Home inspectors like to be done with work every single day at 11 o'clock. And they say that they do, they all do. I'm just here to tell you, they like to be done at 11 or 12. And then they say they spend the afternoon working on reports. Now they maybe spend an hour working on reports. They just want to be done with work early, which is why they try to schedule you early in the morning, which is when you're supposed to be lead generating and doing your hard work so that you can show property and list in the afternoon. But you say you can't lead generate because you have to let home inspectors. So you got to negotiate up front to realize that everyone's got to know you're busy in the morning, but you have to know where that home inspector's coming from. So maybe you can then get him to do his home inspection at noon or be his last home inspection of the day. So it kind of meets in the middle. You have to understand his perspective, right? You're creating extra work for him. That frustrates him. That tires him out. That makes him, that makes you a nuisance to him. So understanding where he comes from, which means you got to ask questions. You have to seek first to understand. You have to get into those conversations. You have to learn. You don't just win the emotion, win the go negotiation with him by vomiting out 
all your reasons why you need it in the morning. We got to learn about him. We got to learn about his emotional buy-in with it, right? And when we do that, we listen. So we're asking questions and we're listening. We're taking time to learn. And then we're framing our point or our strategy and our negotiation around a certain amount of empathy that we have for their emotions. That empathy that we have for their emotions, FBI negotiators refer to that as tactical empathy. When that FBI negotiator is trying to talk that terrorist away from shooting that person in the head on the video, they're using tactical empathy to try to talk that terrorist down, which means we got to learn why they're holding this person hostage, why they're angry or why they're upset, how, you know, how this hostage or this situation makes them feel so we can strategize a win-win solution to satisfy that emotion to get everyone out of this situation. So having emotional intelligence is crucial to having tactical empathy. It also helps you understand because half the time we're negotiating. I mean, we have, like I said, we have vicarious, uh, vicarious liability, right? So we're like, we're liable. We're not liable when we are for, for the best interests of our clients right? What better way to know our client's best interests than to tap into their emotion and figure out why they want certain outcomes. We're just going to better know our clients so we can step into their shoes and represent them. We're going to better know, better know everybody we deal with lenders, closers, everyone we negotiate with appraisers, title officers, home builders, home inspectors, other agents, all those people, we're going to be able to be better people for them if we understand where they're coming from. So if we listen more than we talk, use question marks more than periods, we'll be able to have tactical empathy and do a better job negotiating and getting what we want. Hey, Brian, can I ask you a question? You certainly can. Where's it coming from? Me. Where are you? Des, yes. there you are. Sorry, big screen. Okay. Hey, um... What books are you reading? <laughs> I've read lots of books. On, on that subject? Yes. Yes. The Law I, of Human Nature? On human nature, I don't know. I've read a lot of books on negotiation and a lot of books on behavior. Yeah, someone just threw Never Split the Difference up there. That I actually, uh, I've read that one. That's a great one. Um, you'll hear a lot of components from that because I fully agree with it. My book on behavior has a lot to do with this human behavior. I wrote a book called Behavior. It has to do with the disc and how it relates to people's emotions and how they feel. What's the name of that book? Behavior, <laughs> it's real simple. <laughs> Understanding behavior in real estate, it's by me. Never Split the Difference, talks a lot about what I've talked about. There it is, Luke's got it up there. Thank you, Luke. That's a great one. I think, yeah, that's actually an FBI investigator that wrote that book. <laughs> yeah. But that's the concept, guys. That's the concept. You'll see me. That's a great book. It's a nice little easy read. Great book. What was your book, Brian? Sorry. I was... It's called Behavior. 
if you put behavior into Amazon by Brian Eisenhower, it should come up. But okay. behavior Brian Eisenhower in there. Okay, thank you. You bet. Okay. So there's some concepts. So on that tactical empathy, like I'm talking about, showing that empathy, think about it. When you watch on TV, when you watch an FBI uh, FBI negotiator, you see him showing that. He's, he's, he's actually trying to care for the opponent's feelings when it's hard to do when that opponent's got a gun to somebody else's head. But you know, the only way is to try to frame it. This guy is so twisted up. I got to try to get inside his head so I can see his perspective, how he's looking at that photo of the lady holding the baby. Is it sad? Is it empowering? Or is it fearful? What is it? I don't know. I got to get inside that head. And it's a very different head than mine is. Who knows? Maybe that terrorist is a Palestinian who's lost everyone in his family due to bombs from the U.S. military. I'm not sure how I'd feel after, you know, two decades of that myself. I might, I might do something weird. So I got to get inside that hell head so I can empathize with him as close as I can to being truthfully emphasizing. Cause I'm going to be able to, I'm going to be able to feel it and understand it better. The closer I can get to true empathy there. And then I can actually get to a place where I can show it and he'll believe it. And that'll improve our relationship. Now, a lot of you are too macho for that. You you think that that may make you seem weak. You know, like a, a good negotiator is that hardline negotiator. They, you know, nope, not going to do it. You got to drop your price, 20 bucks. I want, you know, I'm, everybody's at the flea market. By the way, I mean, it's real estate, right? Has anybody met? I know this is going to be gender biased, but has anybody met a husband that doesn't think they're the best negotiator on the planet yet? I'm yet to meet a husband in real estate that does not think they are the best negotiator. You know what I mean? It's hilarious. Everybody's like, a, you know, awesome at the flea market um, or everybody's great. You know, you go across the border to the uh, and, and you start negotiating and haggling over Bart Simpson, ceramic Bart Simpson dolls. And you're the best because you draw a hard line in the sand. I won't take it for more than $5. Nope, not going up. $5. All right, $6. And then you get your Bart Simpson. You go, see, honey, I got him. I know how to negotiate. Ha, ha, ha. And you bring your Bart Simpson back. Right? It's not all about the hard line. It's not all about being machismo. That doesn't make a good negotiator. Okay? So... Here's the key. So when we start looking at this tactical empathy, in fact, in the book, Never Split the Difference, um, I think that was written by Chris Voss, who's really, really good. He talks about a concept in there called labeling, which I love. It's where we actually categorize the emotion, okay, and actually say it back to them to demonstrate that we are being empathetic, empathetic, that we understand. Because you can say, I understand. But if you just tell someone that, if you try to validate someone's feelings by saying, no, I totally understand. What a lot of people are gonna say, no, you don't. You haven't lived my life. Don't pretend like you could understand. You can't possibly understand where I'm coming from. No, you gotta demonstrate you understand. You can't just tell someone they get it. That's actually a little condescending. So you gotta watch if you take that step 
You know what I mean? If someone gives you a problem, we want to validate we heard it. We don't necessarily want to validate that we understand them, right? We want to be very humble in that we understand and maybe even ask so, our, you know, and, and verify that we're getting it. And that's why we come from curiosity and ask more questions. If someone calls me mad because they didn't think that their offer got accepted on my listing, and I really want to leave with a good relationship here, I'm not going to say, hey, I totally understand that happened to me. That's too quick, too easy. You see what I'm saying? They're, they're, no, you don't. You don't understand my clients. You don't understand what they've gone through. You don't understand they're going to be homeless and they've got three young kids. You don't get any of that. You know what I'm saying? You, that doesn't work. You don't understand my family situation. You don't even know that we're broke and we really needed this commission check. I'm not going to say all that, but it could be what they're thinking. They're going to get hot if you just act like their feelings and their reason for being upset is so trivial that you can just automatically get it, that everybody has this problem, that they should just deal with it. See what I'm saying? So the concept Voss uses in labeling to help demonstrate tactical empathy is we actually listen to what they're saying, ask questions to determine how they're feeling, which means, yes, guys, we go into feelings. And then we try to validate by suggesting and asking questions back. Is this how you feel? This must be how you feel. This is what I'm hearing. Okay. So let me give, give you an idea what that looks like. This, I'm not joking, this is called a feelings wheel, okay? Um, this is one done by the Junto Institute, and you can see the feelings wheel, which I love, talks about the different emotions, emotions. it's kind of color coordinated. And like if you talk about someone is feeling anger, there's a lot of different variations. You can be enraged, exasperated, irritable, jealous, or disgusted. Now under irritable, there's two types. There's annoyed and aggravated. The further out on the wheel you go, the more specific you get with your emotion. You see that? So the further out you go, the more specific. Sadness, same thing. Someone can be sad because their offer didn't get accepted. But more accurately, I wouldn't want to say you're sad. You might just be disappointed or dismayed or displeased right? Or you might even feel shameful that you didn't get the offer accepted for your buyer who's depending on you. Does that make you regretful or guilty? Here's the deal. When you're labeling, the further out you go, the better you're going to be at validating your empathy to the opponent because it's going to be more accurate. These are general terms, anger and sadness. Then we start to move into a little bit more specific terms. You're probably okay if you go right here. But if you can go all the way out here to the specific emotion and say that back and say, huh, you know, I listen to them to determine the emotion. And then I say, you know what? That sounds pretty rough, man. I mean, I, I bet you're feeling pretty dismayed right now. 
Now that's a question. I bet you're feeling, it sounds like you're feeling pretty dismayed. If they say yes, man, that's gonna calm us both down. Because when they say yes, that's them saying, I think you get it. I recognize and accept your empathy for me. In other words, that's them saying you do understand. And now you've truly validated that you get it. And when that happens, they don't have to display all that emotion anymore to you. They know you get it. That emotion is a display to make you understand. The minute you explain that you get their emotion, they'll start to think more logically and more calmly back to even keel. If they're angry or they're too happy or they're too excited or they're too sad or they're too upset, it all comes back to the decision-making middle ground where people are more comfortable once they see that you understand their emotion, right? It neutralizes them. Got it? So we don't want to say something like, I think you're sounding exasperated and angry. That's assuming too much. What I'd rather you say is it sounds like you're feeling or are you feeling exasperated? We're coming from curiosity. We're asking a question that keeps us neutral. We're just still seeking to understand at that point. That's what develops that trust. Make sense? Everybody get that? So we have to identify those feelings. We have to be able to articulate it back. When they feel understood, that creates a little bit of trust and safety. Like I've been emotional with that guy. This guy listened. He didn't argue me back and tell me why I shouldn't feel that way. He didn't say, you don't know my point of view before you're angry with me. I don't, I want you to hear where I'm coming from. I didn't try to get into point counterpoint. You all do that one. I know it right now. First, before I counterpointed, I understood and validated and calmed him down. Then that created trust and safety. Then I might say, here's why I said what I said. And guess what? Now there's trust and safety. They'll actually listen to me because they're neutralized. Make sense? They're actually listening to what I'm saying, not trying to think about their next argument. The more specific you can pinpoint the type of emotion, the more successful you will be at this, okay? And that's why we always come from curiosity when we're negotiating. And this is where we can all get better. I don't care who you are. The more you can come from curiosity and ask questions, the better off you're going to be. I when you're in a negotiation, quite frankly, if you can never use the period and always use the question mark at the end of every phrase, you're going to be better. You're going to neutralize them and you're going to get further and you're going to play it safer. It's when we get lazy and we try to cut corners and start telling our story and telling our argument that we start to take risks and negotiations break down. And that's where the trigger goes in the guy's head because we got lazy. If we stay back and stay in curiosity, ask questions so that the opponent 
answers and self-discovers the correct path through his own answers. It's not coming from you, it's coming from him. You're getting him to see through your self-guided path to self-discovery. So we don't want to be telling and selling. We don't want to be monologuing. We don't want to be arguing our points and getting all our points out there. That is how, and I'm, guys, when you're negotiating with your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your kids, please listen to all this because those are all negotiations. You want to do this the right way? I'm telling you. You just got to be patient. That's the hard part. It takes more time this way. But overall, it takes a lot less time because they actually listen and you don't have to deal with it. If I've told you once, I've told you again. Well, that's already a problem. You've been telling too much. That's why you have to keep wasting time over and over again, telling and telling and no one's listening because you're not telling correctly. You need to get them to self-discover. Make sense? Welcome to New Age Persuasion, guys. Welcome to the last 20 and 30 years in psychology. It's been pretty powerful, okay? And that's how it works. So erase what you know from that from before, okay? Now, the other thing I want you to do too is when we're asking these questions, we don't wanna ask questions that are close-ended. We wanna get them talking. So don't ask questions that can be answered in a yes or no format, okay? Those are called leading questions. So it sounds like blah, 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 blah. And what you're saying is this and this and this. And I bet if you say all those things, then you're gonna want this to happen, right? And they say, right. You're tying them down. They're not gonna learn anything that way. They're not gonna self-discover anything. That's just another articulate way of you telling. Because you're tying down your statement with a question. And that, that has its place in sales, not in negotiations though. We want to get them to, to talk so that they have time to think. It'll get them in a more positive place. It'll get them to, to think while they're talking. And you just sit and listen. It'll always make them feel like they've had their say too. That they've gotten all their points out. You've got to let them get their whole argument out right and then when they're done if you still don't know and they bring up a new point i i always ask this question so how did that make you feel what am i doing i'm trying to get them to see my empathy so i'm getting them to tell me where they are on the feelings wheel and if they say sad, I might move out on the wheel a little bit and say sad, like disappointed, like maybe even dismayed. You know, I'm moving out further on the wheel. I'm asking, them, does that sound right? Yeah. So I, yeah, you get it. There's my tactical empathy. Trust is established. That whole point has been understood. We can box that up. We don't have to deal with that again. That objection's overcome. Let's keep moving. See what I'm saying? See how this is kind of high level stuff? Welcome to freaking real estate. Makes sense? But that's the idea. You get into that place. See how this could be used for a coach? You don't think coaches negotiate with, with clients? Oh, all the time. 
They call you because you want to sell more real estate. You tell them what they need to do, sell more real estate, to sell more real estate. They're going to fight you and you better negotiate to get them to do what they need to do to get the results they want. It's madness, I know. But that's how it works. Okay. So if we are coaching an agent and trying to get them to sell more, or we are working with a buyer and trying to get them into a home, despite all the obstacles that they must go through to get a home, because there's a lot of discomfort there, right? Well, we can't go looking at houses. We got to get you with the lender first. Yeah, we may have to put offers before you even get to see the house. We got to maybe ask your family if they have any cash so we can try to buy with cash first. There's a lot of, but they just want to go look at houses, right? So we have to kind of negotiate with them to get them to get the results they want, change some of the initial activities they're going to do. So to do that, we got to persuade. To persuade, we got to know why they want that end result. Why do they want to buy a house? Right? Why do they want to buy a house? They want to buy a house so they can stop renting and they can live close to their grandmother because the grandmother wants to spend more time with their kids. And that's a much better school. And that's the way to get in that school district for their kids. Tons of very emotional reasons. So how would that make you feel if you actually bought a house in that neighborhood? How'd that make you feel? Man, we'd be so happy. Happy? I bet you'd be delighted. I bet you'd be grateful. I bet you'd be, I mean, you'd feel downright triumphant. You know, I'm going through the feelings, Will, if you can't tell. Using a lot of words I would never use, triumphant. You know, so that's, I just don't use that word. So the, <laughs> um, you know what I mean? You'd feel peaceful. Every day you'd probably wake up, you know, serene with the fact that you send your kids to school in a safe neighborhood and safe streets, you know, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. All those things, they did, man, this guy gets it. And I'm, I'm saying all that right before they make a decision as to the process we're gonna go about to list their home for sale and get them to buy a new home. Right before they make those hard decisions and commitments to specific courses of action, that's when I'm gonna get those emotions to the forefront of their head. Hey, Brian. Right there at that moment. Yes, Des. Can you role play that? Yeah, I am. I'm gonna do it right now. Good segue. So when that happens, when that starts to happen, there's kind of a process we roll through, okay? So the, the, I call it my needs analysis process is I'll move into, first I'll start with their past. I wanna know everything about their past, you know, how they got where they're at, okay? Then I'm gonna jump into their present, where are we at right now? Then I'm gonna go into future pleasure. What happens if we get you that house by grandma? Then I'm gonna get into future pain. What happens if you don't get a house by grandma? So what happens if you keep staying where you're at? What kind of school are they gonna go to? How will that make you feel? How does that change college? How would that make you feel? As prices go up in grandma's neighborhood, how'd that make you feel? How'd that make grandma feel? How'd that make your kids feel? See what I'm saying? 
I want them to really experience the pain of how it would feel if they are always on the outside looking in. I want them to experience the feeling of what it would be like if they get what they want. Future pleasure and future pain. So it's past, present, future pleasure, future pain. Past, present, future pleasure, future pain. Okay? And then if there's any objections left, like they're going to get all that, they're going to say, yeah, but we just don't think we can afford it. That's an objection. Then we weigh that action versus the inaction. Well, I know it's expensive, but if we don't do it, remember the pain. So even though it's expensive, yes, I think that that's a little heavier on your scale than being on the outside looking in forever. Also remember all the pleasure you get from that expense. At that moment, that's when you can motivate because you've tapped into emotion. You've achieved tactical empathy to get it. We've labeled their emotion. And at that moment, they will have the courage to take uncomfortable action to finally get the results they want. You ever wonder how that, how you go try to take listings and they never would list at your price and someone else gets them to list lower than you? You ever wonder how you, how someone else finally got them to do what you never did? Some people are better at this than others. There are certain times when you're motivated to join the gym and start working out. And then it's amazing how a couple days later you're not because that motivation was in your brain. And at that point in time, we need to establish all the ability, accountability we can so that you don't get out of it. That's when you need the personal trainer, the friend that joins with you, that agrees to go with you every day. All those things need to get strapped down at that moment. Because if we get too far past that moment, you're going to get further and further away from action and further into inaction. And those reasons and excuses and justifications for not having to do it will build up and you'll never do it. That was your moment. You missed the window. So right when we need that commitment, that decision, that signature, that agreement, that's when we go into past, present, future pleasure, future pain, bring the emotion to the forefront. Future pleasure we talked about. Tactical empathy, labeling, find that emotion, talk about how it'll make them feel when they get there. Tap into all the different types of emotion. The emotion will give your spouse, the emotion will give your kids, the emotion will give grandma, the emotion will give you. And then we go future pain, all the negative emotions, all those players will, will feel. Most people never go there. You don't go there in your buyer consultations. You don't go there in your listing presentations. Well, in some markets, it's not so easy and you're going to need to. If you want to get them to take the tough steps that it takes to do it, to get them to buy or sell a home or to get that, you know, home inspector to go in the afternoon. So after we go past, present, future pleasure and future pain, then we're going to weigh that action versus the inaction for every objection they've got. For every objection they got. So if they say, I'll say, hey, I mean, I get it. It's going to cost you an extra, you know, $600 a month in your mortgage. You know, 600 bucks a month. Um, you know, that's that's a lot. You know, that increased interest rate or that increased price, probably both, right? You know, times 12 months, that's an extra $7,200 a year you're going to spend to get in that neighborhood now. But we've talked about the likelihood of that cost going down. It's up to you, man. Is that, I mean, you've talked about what it would do for your family and your kids and your children and your life if they got in that neighborhood. You've told me how it would make you and them feel. 
$7,200, is it worth all that? See what I just did? I just bought your family for $7,200. Are you gonna sell out or no? You're either a scumbag or you're not, but that's really what you're doing. So I handle the objections by weighing those against each other. Yes, bringing a clipboard into your appointment is powerful. Because you're taking notes. I even ask permission. Say, hey, you don't mind? I'm going to take some notes here because I really want to understand where you're coming from. Um, and I want to put them in my file. Because um, absolutely, because what's going to happen is you're going to get back down to inspections down the road, <laughs> you know, and they're going to say, let's say you represent the seller and they're going to ask like for 50 things. And you're going to say, hey, we got to sell this house to get into the new house. I mean, I know they're nickel and diamond yet and it's frustrating, but... Remember our goals? We talked about how it was going to make your grandmother feel and your daughter feel and all those things. I'm just trying to remind you because that's my job is to look out for your best interests. I have vicarious liability to you. I've got to step in your shoes to represent you. I'm required to do that by law. So I'm explaining to you, remember why we're doing what we're doing. Make sense? So we're getting in there and we're explaining weighing that action versus that inaction for each objective they have. So they already gave me future pleasure and pain. Now I'm going to use it against every objection they give me, one or the other. Probably both. Here's what happens if you don't do it, and here's what you get if you do. Oh, by the way, here's what happens if you don't do it, and here's what I'm just going to keep, keep coming at me because they can't say no to their own goals. They just can't that makes sense okay so as a brief role play on this just just to to, to answer uh the question um you know i'm gonna get into it and just you know like start to dig down in the surface i'm gonna say hey how are you how's it going just whatever it is to start things off just a social nicety and then i'm gonna keep digging deep beyond that way deep beneath the surface to get it done and it's almost like a doctor diagnosing someone i'm gonna keep asking questions to get down into their emotions and into their feelings so that I learn about their needs. Like, why are we doing this? And then when they tell me, yeah, we just wanna move in that better school district, then I'm gonna say, but why? This is where most agents have a hard time. Why, why do you wanna move in that school district? Well, we got three kids, okay, great. Anything else, any other reasons for being there? Don't stop asking questions, keep digging down beneath the surface deeper. You'll open up grandma, property values, where they are right now. Keep digging, get deep in there. Uncovering a lot more. People do not tell you everything, nor do they think of it themselves. If you walk around all day long and ask someone how they're doing, they're gonna be like, "It's I'm fine, I'm okay. That's not how they're really doing. You gotta dig if you really wanna know. I mean, don't do that with everybody in the grocery store, that's for sure, but I mean, do it for your clients and people you're negotiating with really dig. Okay. So you're like a therapist. You're being patient. You're sitting back. You're asking questions. That's what we call a needs analysis. How are you going to know their needs until you ask them all about them and then tell them how it's going to make them feel? Make sense? And you're going to see people like when you ask those open-ended questions and they give you one word answers, they shut down. A lot of tough guys do that. You know what I mean? Macho guys. Right? I mean, you can only go so far there, but you gotta, that's when you gotta kind of back up and say, hey guys, because then you're feeling intrusive, right? 
So you got to back up and say, hey, the reason I'm doing this is because I have a fiduciary duty to represent your best interests, And I have to know what your motivation is here. So for me to truly represent you and look out for you, the more I know about why you need this and why you want this, the more ideas I can come up with that you may not know about, the more strategies I can come up with you don't. So I asked, so can I have your permission to ask these questions? See how I did that? Can I have your permission to dig a little deeper than that's comfortable and ask you these questions? And if they say yes to that, then you just keep going. Make sense? So I need permission to get in your brain a little bit here. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to keep moving them. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to go over to the spouse, you know, <laughs> I'm going to move over, you know, <laughs> try to find somebody else or just look around, man. You know what I mean? Look around. That's why I love touring homes on listings. Look around and see what you can learn. How many kids they have? What are their interests? What do the kids do? Are there pictures of them playing sports? I can assume a lot and then ask specific questions about those kids. Sounds like you got young kids. What are their ages? They'll answer them. Great. Grandpa live around, parents, you know what I mean? You can start adding, you can start making assumptions. So look, don't just ask, look around, see what's around you, dig in there, okay? And this is what's gonna bring that motivation to the forefront in that, remember, past, present, future pleasure, future pressure, ah, past, present, future pleasure, future pain, handle objections, okay? And then we're going to get our prescription, right? We're going to actually prescribe at that point in the conversation like a doctor would. So any objections they give you, we're going to weigh that action versus the inaction. Then they're going to get it. And then we're going to make a prescription, which is what we need them to do for their own best interests or for our mutually, a mutual concession towards our collective best interests in some negotiations. Either way, we're using this for the powers of good. The opponent is not truly the opponent. A workable solution is what we really want to do. And you got to get them to believe that in a good needs analysis to find out where they're at and what they're after and what they're waiting for is everything. Okay. The reason we go through the past part at the beginning, just to tell you to kind of go over each step is to do is a concept that I like to call letting the marlin run. If you've ever gone marlin fishing, when you first catch a big marlin, you don't try to reel it in. You let it run. So it tires out. If you try to reel it in right away, number one, you're not going to be successful because it's a big, strong fish. It's all muscle, right? And it's real. It's been resting and it's just going to take off because it's afraid for its life. It's running from pain too. <laughs> it's got loss aversion loss of lice aversion. So it's going to run off. And if you try to reel at that point, A, you're not going to be able to get it in. B, you might snap the line. So you got to wait for it to wear down. Then it'll be more amenable and kind of come your way. The same thing's true in a negotiation. You have a perspective, like we said, they might have a different perspective. Same people looking at the same picture with different contexts. If you want them to get on your page and have you guys merge to a similar context, you've got to let them tell your story. Here's why I'm upset with working in the morning. Here's why I don't want to meet you to do that home inspection in the morning. Here's why I'm mad you didn't present my offer. Here's why I don't want to go meet with the lender first and I want to just look at property. Let the Marlin run. Let them get all that out of the way before you start persuading and negotiating. 
Let them get all that out. Otherwise, if you try to start persuading, they're gonna keep interjecting and interrupting you, which means they're not listening to you. They're forming their next argument. So you're not gaining trust, you're not gaining empathy. They're trying to interject and they're never getting on the same page with you. So you must let that Marlin run first. Okay, you must. That's why we, so I kind of skipped past, but that's why we start with past is we let that Marlin run. Future pleasure, future pain, we talked about. Then we don't stop with those needs. We actually move into emotion. We go down pleasure and pain to generate tactical empathy, to determine an emotion. So if you're listing property or representing buyers and you don't know how their goals will make them feel, you're gonna have a hard time when objections come their way, when obstacles come their way. You're gonna have a hard time, guys. But you pull that clipboard out and you say, hey guys, I just wanna go over. My job is to represent your best interests. And you were talking, I know this stuff's no fun and these are some hard steps or hard costs or hard whatever, but you told me your stated goals were these things. Is leaving a barbecue grill behind really standing in the way right now? So you put things in perspective because you're looking at it objectively. You're not the one tied up in the emotion because you're not the one with the loss aversion or the, the emotional response. You're the agent who does this all the time. You don't have a dog in this fight. They do. They've got emotion. You're the one that has to remind them of their goals, which means you need to find them out in the first place. Make sense? Hence the needs analysis. That's negotiation, guys, is finding out the needs of the opponent, tapping into that emotion, and moving forward. All right, got a few minutes. Any questions, thoughts, concerns? Anyone want to? I think I covered everybody over there. I see a question. Your, um, Brian, you did your five, what is it, five steps where your needs analysis, you went over past with the Marlin run? Yeah, yeah, present. Sorry. I see that now. Yeah, present actually, I did go over. I just didn't say that was the present part. <laughs> Oops. Um, what that part is, is. Um, that's ba all you're doing at present is the fastest one. It's the easiest one. You already do that one anyway. It's basically asking about their goals. Why do you want to buy the home? Okay, that's present. Here's where we are right now. What am I here for? Why do you want to buy the home? Why do you want to list your house? You almost always do that. We, you know, I mean, we always, we've been taught to find out seller and buyer motivation, mm -hmm. right? We've been taught to find that. What we're not taught well to do is to dig deep to establish tactical empathy, label that emotion and keep asking, don't just get that. Once you get emotion, don't just stop there. Are there any other emotions? Are there any other reasons? Are there any other people affected? We can, we can uncover tons of reasons and tons of emotion for someone to take uncomfortable action. If we get more and more reasons, more and more emotions and more and more people that are impacted. Present is really just asking that question what are your needs? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Trainer Podcast, sponsored by Eisenhower Coaching and Consulting. For more information about real estate coaching or to watch Brian's training videos, check out therealestatetrainer.com or find us on social media. And remember, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they're available.